<clears throat> hey everyone. So ayahuasca is a gift that keeps on giving. <clears throat> and I learned something very interesting in a recent ceremony, which was very, very powerful. And when there's trauma, when there's so, you know, soul stealing, life refusal, um, your voice is taken away. You're stuffed. Like your whole expression whatever you express with your hands, you know, in paint, whatever it is, it trauma steals your, as I said, your original script and your voice. The voice that says this is wrong, the voice, <clears throat> the child that can cry, and when you're a little child and you're terrified and you want to cry because you're terrified and you can't cry, you can't express the terror. So you stick it somewhere, and I'm going to call it pockets of pain and grief, pockets of unexpressed emotions, because whoever it is, fucking cunt, scumbag, or whoever it is, terrifies you into refusing the feeling of being a child. And with that terror, they hold you captive. But more importantly, with that terror, you can't express yourself. You can't cry. You can't be sad. You've got to pretend that it's okay to not be a child, that it's okay to not express your sadness, your fear, your anger. You are not allowed to be you. And that expression doesn't disappear. <clears throat> It sits lodged in your esophagus. It sits lodged like a blockage in your system. And when you refuse that expression, you legitimize the evil that's being done to you. Because by not challenging it, 
you give credibility to them and you sink a little deeper into disappearing. And one of the things that I see is, and it's physically been pulled out, is this stuffing down of emotions and the stuffing, the stuffing down of emotions that you feel is a stuffing down of who you are. And in a ceremony, I had to accept that there was no love. I had to accept that there was, I had no right to show up. It was a pure, it was pure evil. And, and so I had to carry endless pockets of unexpressed pain and sadness. When you see a little child cry, they're like, they're just crying and they need to be loved and they need to be held and soothed. When there's none of that, where does all that go? Where does it go? Well, it sits stuffed inside you. It sits, and you won't let it be released. And somebody was saying on a podcast, and I thought it was really interesting, um, this guy met this woman, blah, blah. And she, when she met him, and, you know, they became solid, a very, you know, loving, very powerfully loving relationship. Um, she said she was able to release trauma but it wasn't the same as releasing it, you know, in plant medicines, because the love was so deep. So, for us to, for anyone that's, you know, has endured trauma, there are endless pockets of pain and grief within you, of unexpressed sadness, and that is a blockage to your life force. And I saw it recently. It was, I was being, you know, moved around, etc., by the medicine. And then, you know, the Indians showed up that were just sort of, my, you know, my family. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Why, I don't know, 100 years ago, perhaps, or whatever, I don't know. But I was so far away from them. And... what kept me separate from them was the fear. And when I was able to release the grief of being a little girl and being scared, where I literally was in ceremony weeping, saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, right? I was told, you know, don't be scared, you're weak, you're wrong, you're this, you're that. And so I refer to it again, we all have emotions and we all have the need to express them. But if you're told, you know, you're wrong to feel that way, you're wrong to um, express that, then you're going to hold it in. And we don't know how many mountains of unexpressed emotions we carry. 
but I've certainly seen an awful lot. And when I said there was more, there was more. And there was more expression of that sadness. Not of the sadness now, but of the unexpressed emotion of a four, a five, and a six-year-old. Of being told, you know, you don't cry. I remember a good friend of mine, well, good friend, she was whatever, family friend, but she was 10 and she died. She had a brain hemorrhage or something. And I remember they said to me, you know, she died, don't cry. So part of the healing is the ability to reach those pockets of grief, of sadness, that your little child, little girl, little boy, holds within them. Because without the expression of those feelings, if they are like a lambasted or, you know, joked about, I mean, in my case, you know, they made fun of me for being emotional or whatever, for having feelings, basically, for not being scumbags like them, then um, if you don't express them, it's part of the blockage. It's part of your <clears throat> inability to be who you are, right? So, and again, I don't know how, I have no idea, you know, how much more there is, and I don't know how many doors are closed and how much more grief. But in that, you know, when I was around with the Indians around me, there was an incredible expression of sadness. I allowed myself to feel it. I allowed it for it to come out. I allowed for the feeling of deep sadness to appear. And in the context of this loving, loving, loving family, which are the Indians, um, that was able to be purged. It's a purging of a feeling because you're safe. You're safe. You're safe, you're loved, you have the right to be the divinity that you are. And <clears throat> in a ceremony in Peru, these Indians had come for me. You know, they were trying to bring me back. And I was literally, I, I was literally trying to reach out. I was literally crawling along the floor to them. I was so desperate to go home. And it was like this energetic pull that wouldn't let me leave. And I was with my fam my actual, my this dimension reality family. And I kept saying, you know, I kept saying, why did I leave? You know, why did I leave? my family, which is, you know, the, the, the Indians love all this stuff. 
and they said you were stolen, Maria. But the, it wasn't so much that. It's more like I was literally, they were, all of them were there, and I was with my family, and I, it was like I was in prison, and I couldn't, I, I was trying to crawl along the floor. This is so funny, in the Maloka, <coughs> I was literally trying to claw my way back to them, and I couldn't. I couldn't, it was like I was magnetically being held in this fucking hell, in this hellhole of them. Um, so I don't, again, I don't know what the backstory is, but there are many things that keep us paralyzed if we don't um, address our issues and our, address our situation. And for me, it was my voice was, they kind of stuffed like, I think about those people that like, you know, the mules that take cocaine back and forth and they have to eat tons and tons of it, they have to swallow it. And it was like that. I just, I was, my voice was completely refused. And there's, there's, there's power in your voice, in everyone's voice. There's power in what you say. There's power in the words you utter, the thoughts that you think. And ever since a child, I've had real issues around um, swallowing. Like, I think I'm going to choke. In fact, when I was married and it was pretty bad, I had to go to a doctor that stuck this thing down my, it was awful, it was awful. Um, because my trauma is being choked, it's being refused, it's like whatever you say is wrong, everything that comes out of your mouth is wrong, right? And so you learn to swallow who you are and that's how they hold you captive. You have to swallow your feelings, right? You have to, I remember I was doing a presentation at school for an architectural project. And, you know, the work was really good, but I, talking about it was almost impossible. Like, I did not have the right to speak. I did not have the right to express my emotions. So we need to look at, if you're in trauma or if you've been traumatized, is to look at where you've been silenced. Where, and it could be physically, it could be in different parts of your body, it could be, but there are, pla there, there are places where it's particularly blocked. And in the grieving, and actually, you know, this incredible medicine with the help of the Indians and the great Shipibo, who are the doctors of the medicine who administer it, the, the plants, um, they, they literally pulled out 
everything that was stuffing that down. And I was able to, I, I couldn't express until I felt safe, until I felt really loved, which I did, because there's, you know, this, my whole Indian family was there. And, and it was safe to express the feelings. Can you imagine how many of us, how many people are walking around with this, their little children's sadness, their, their, their fear stuffed into them, into their organs somewhere? You know? So I'm eternally grateful to the ayahuasca. I just, you know, there are no words. Um, but, you know, one thing kind of evil and bullying does is if you're a child, you know, it's always, you know, you're wrong, right? There's something wrong with you. That was, that's a tactic which is used a lot, you know, you're wrong. You look wrong, you sound wrong. But there's no seeing of you, they just wipe you out with a, a black cloud, right, over and over. You can't, there's nowhere for you to show up because there's nowhere that's safe. And that's accepting of who you are. And I think that's the beauty of, of great nurturing and great love is the total acceptance of who you are. I remember my son said to me, we were walking the park many, many years ago when he was, you know, an adolescent. And he said to me, hey, mom, you know, if, if I killed 10,000, I don't know what he said, something like, you know, if I, he was testing, he was testing the love. And it's like, you know, if I, if I killed 10,000 people, mom, would you love me? I said, you know, I'd love you if you killed the whole planet. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not about, then obviously, you know, they're not going to do anything. It's just, what a child is saying is, will you love me when I'm, I'm everything of me? You know, even the dark bits, right? Yeah. The light and the dark. I love every aspect of you, Max. So, to not be able to express yourself means that you doubt, right? If a child is able to cry and be soothed and loved and understood, they continue to grow because they know that every time they feel something, they are allowed to feel it. And so they're allowed to blossom. And they know that their parents are there as partners, right? By their side as they stumble through life and do whatever it is that they do. Because there's no handbook for life. You kind of stumble through it, right? You make some mistakes, you know, you don't, whatever. But you're growing amidst love, which is the great safety net of the tightrope walker, which is what life is. And there's no safety net when there's no acceptance of you, when there's no love for the divinity that you are then you're offline. I mean, there's... I remember this woman said in this podcast, which is lovely, she said, you know, I really was back online when I felt this enormous love. And that's what this incredible medicine does. 
for me, it's given me back my parents, which is this great Indian chieftain and, you know, the feminine aspect of the Shipibo, who are the healers. So I really feel like I've been, I'm parented, you know, I'm, I feel really loved and parented, you know. Um, one is in another dimension and the Shipibo are here, but the Shipibo represent the great feminine to me, you know, the great the great mother and so does the ayahuasca, right? So to me it's a combination of that really powerful feminine energy. We both have both, right? Feminine and masculine. And the Indians are the masculine that are loving, connected to the earth, um, that are strong and courageous and um, humble and beautiful and just this grace and I think about the Indians I think about their grace and their power right and their love so I've kind of been reparented um, by them and by being reparented I'm able to you know to express the grief of my little girl Right. I, must say, this, I mean, that whole, imagine your little girl, your little boy, how many years were you a toddler, a child, like, you know, let me say one to, to 12, right? You know, how many moments, if you think about it, did you have to refuse your fear, refuse your sadness, refuse the emotion because there was no one there to hold you. There was no one there to act as the support system that got you through that emotion. So, I mean, I think I was riddled with pockets of grief and sadness, which I had no access to because it was like, you've got to be strong, grow the fuck up, be strong, you know, this is all bullshit, this baby shit. I don't, want a, I don't want a baby, I don't want a kid, I want an adult now, right? So, in this healing, and it's all returning. I mean, for me, it's just walking home, right? It's all taking, I mean, there was a, a line I had and I thought it was really, it was really quite powerful, which was, you know, I had to go from door to door to pick up myself where I was left off, you know. Where were you refused? Where were your emotions refused? Where is it in your body? Where are those emotions in your body? Where do they sit? And why can't you release them? I certainly couldn't. Because I was so scared. Scared that I'd, there'd be retribution, scared that no one would be there, that no one really cared. I would just be, I would la be laughed at, which happened a lot, for having emotions. I remember one time I was coming off a school bus, you know. My mother was in the car with this other wretched fucking cow, and they would laugh at me because I was sad, you know. They would just laugh, like, what's up with you, you know, like, La sonrisa de la huerta, which is, you know, like the 
the pick-me-up of the garden, which is basically a kind of sarcastic way of saying, like, you know, <clears throat> there's no light in you. And as a mother and as a parent, if you see sadness, you, you know, you address it, you find, you know, you find always, you know, the place to heal your children, not to make fun of it and to, I mean, it's just revolting, it's so cruel to be, to have your emotions made fun of or belittled or refused or told that it's wrong, it's just, it's just, it's just hell, it's, it's, it's awful. So, I think, you know, in the, with this medicine, it replants your, you know, carpet-bombed garden. It really replants everything. It certainly gave me new parents, which is fabulous. It, because I have new parents, in a way, I'm able to release the grief and the sadness that I didn't know I had. So, yeah, you're literally, in, with this medicine, there's a sort of, there is a replanting of, of that um, horribly abusive landscape. So it's like you really don't have to sit and live with the, what the, this universe is saying is, um, everything can be healed, right? You just have to accept, you have to go into it and, 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 and not, and, and kind of reclaim your power. Because we're all the universe, every single human being is the living, breathing expression of this incredible thing that's making, you know, galaxies and, um, and french fries, you know, and polar bears. So, um, our potential is always much greater than, than we consider it to be, right? But we have to work at it. It's like if you have to fix a bone or, you know, heal it, there's a certain process that takes place um, that is, is on the universe's schedule, but certainly not on mine. There was, um, there's a wonderful story which I could really relate to, which was this, there was, there was a boat race around the world. There was a yacht race or something. And um, this guy um, had gotten to the middle of the Atlantic and had, um, was giving his coordinates it's a long time ago. I'm sure before they had like really smart tech for GPS. And um, he hadn't moved. He was just sitting, he just, it's like he'd suddenly realized, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> He's, He's in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere, lost, and he doesn't want to go on, and he's pretending that he's going on, but he's giving these false coordinates. Anyway, eventually he jumps off the boat and God, he disappears. But the fact is that at some point in this process of um, returning home and uh, basically being released from captivity, from the shadow, um, there is a moment where you're like, you know, I, I, you don't know why you took off in the first place. Like, he must probably had, 
the reasons for him setting sail were one thing, but when he suddenly got to the middle of the Atlantic, it was like, but why am I here? It's like a wake up. And that's very much what the ayahuasca is like. It's like, or oh, oh, actually not ayahuasca, but actually being trapped by your shadow. Is that like, you set off like a comet, like you're, you, you know, you're kind of, you charge like, you know, a thousand uh, sort of, um, you know, men on horses. You're off. It's like a cannonball shooting off, but it's shooting. I realize that it's shooting off because of the of all the shadow, all the darkness. I mean, I was completely um, owned and held captive by this evil, and I was just I just shot off. You know, it was like the ego was massive, the terror was massive. It just took off like a firework. Why I was doing anything, I had not a clue. I was just doing. I was just galloping into who knows where I was going, but it was just panic, gallop, go. And with this notion that I was going to set, you know, this mission, like I was some kind of crusader, right? And I had no idea. I was just doing for the sake of doing, going for the sake of going, like there was some bigger purpose. But actually, it was all about... Um, being held captive by evil and darkness and not being loved and not being seen and being refused and the, my response was just charge <laughs> and this kind of dissolving is really going to all the wounds in your system to all the places that you've been refused unloved and grieving and re-experiencing um, the grief and the sadness that you've held and I, 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 it seems to me like pockets in your infinite kind of energetic uh, field and <coughs> and um, you know I keep thinking well this is it right but you think about it there's a lot of um, years of abuse or whatever or neglect, whatever it is that you went through and every time you are refused it's like there's another moment of refusal of your life force and that is another kind of bruising, right? So in, with this medicine what's just beyond phenomenal is I don't know how many years and days and moments of grief or sadness I'm carrying. I have no idea. But um, the medicine is able to create a condition, a situation where she again locates it in ceremony because my ego is busy refusing it. And again, this ego thing is I mean, to me, it's kind of, it's definitely this huge, disfigured, energetic body that's in my system that comes out, that moves as a physicality. Um, and it's busy um, refusing the pain. So the ayahuasca, when I sit in ceremony, is in constant battle with it. It's battling it 
and it's literally they're literally like demons I can't describe it but I like you know when I when the the the, the begin I literally can say it becomes like a, a you know one of these like monsters you know where it's got wings and it's like seething and that's literally what I become <laughs> it's not weird to say on the Upper East Side but anyway so and the medicine pulls these things out of my system and they're like kind of just dark forces you know if you imagine the movies and exactly that they're like winged seething tongue you know coming out angry and they're in my system and they're egoic and they represent my ego they represent you know um, the forces of refusing the truth because they represent we have to you know survive um, and once she's battled them for a few for an hour or so they surrender there's this, this incredible energetic thing that happens where there's this sudden you know they come out they're, they're in my energetic system and then suddenly there's this release and it's they're hiding they're covering the places where my you know where all my grief is hidden where all my sadness is and all those years of secrets and abuse and everything they're riddled all over your body whatever it is that happened to you and that's my case but everybody has a you know different situation and you know my ego is fighting to keep these hidden literally and they're being guarded by these I can even describe them as kind of um, energies dark energies I'm just going to call it that for, for lack of anything else and they literally come up through my system and they're like again winged and seething and and I become them and um, it's the kind of you know don't come in here don't look over here because the ayahuasca is directly sourcing and looking for and monitoring. It's like one of these kind of like um, these missiles that search, you know, to, to blow up. The pinpointing where the, the sadness that I won't let go of is, right? Because I won't let myself feel that because I was told early on that, you know, there's something wrong with you if you have that feeling. First of all, it's inconvenient for us. This is basically the message from my parents. You know, I can't handle it. It's a nuisance. It, you know, it's just, it, I, I'm not going to deal with it. And so you need to refuse it. And there's something wrong with you that you feel. I mean, it's pretty harsh, right? So I've built this tremendously sophisticated you know uh, shield armor that is kept in place by these very dark like dragons you know they just don't come here you know like they are they're, 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 they, they have to refuse the emotion 
I suppose that's what's built when you're young, when you're so you're in twilight of consciousness, and you have no resources, and yet there's no safety, and there's just these two crazies, and this horrible stuff is happening. Well, what's the protection for it? Well, clearly there's there's these energies, and I'm telling you, they're dark, they're dragon-like, they're seething, and you know, so. And they're protecting, at the same time, legitimizing the reality that's going on. They're legitimizing the evil, in a way. So they're kind of working on two fronts. One is they're hiding away your pain so that you survive, because if you feel that pain, they're going to slap you or hurt you or whatever. And then, on the other hand, um, they're also, you know, your dungeon keepers, because they won't let you get through them, you know, to release the truth. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword. So the ayahuasca, because when there's no love, there's nothing. I mean, there's literally nothing. There is no, there's no flowering or blossoming. There's just emptiness. It's dark. And so as a child, you're so terrified of that place, of nothing. Because these aren't parents, these aren't people that give a shit, they're not, you know. Um, you've been born into hell, basically, and, you know, what's worse? Are you going to wake up to hell as you're three or you're four? No. You're going to legitimize these incredible acts of cruelty, this lovelessness, and you're going to make it work by building these defenses, which, you know, again, turn out to be these kind of, you know, badly clad, kind of seething, dark energies. So there's a wrestling going on. There's a battle of me fully giving up. Because so, so the, the, again, the bigger the front, the bigger the back. It was such a landscape of horror that within me still it's not, I can't quite believe that I can let it all go and I won't die. And in order for me to get there, I have to release my truth. I have to release sadness that was said, no, that's wrong, or, and the deep grief. And in these many ceremonies, she gets to them. She locates, you know, first of all, there are these, um, when the Ikarasa songs start, the vibration, you know, these energies come out, like this egos, these energies emerge. They, they come up through my system, like they're literally physical, like I become them, you know. And, and then she wrestles with them, literally, I'm pulled about, back and forth. And it's my ego saying, you know, basically, these energies saying, you know, we can't let any of this go, right? We're scared of actually living our true life. We're actually terrified of not 
being this form, whatever this thing is, even though it's paralyzed and it's doing everything that it doesn't really want to, etc. And the only way the great liberator is to let, to, to let go of that emotion in safety. So in other words, as a child, um, you have all these emotions, right? You're being hurt, you're being physically abused, you're being whatever, and you're having feelings. I mean, you have feelings from day one, from the day you're born. You're having feelings, you're having responses. You're sad, whatever, you're upset, you're happy, you're whatever, you're fearful. All of those feelings are there. They don't go anywhere. So in my instance, I refuse them. I'm not allowed to have, I can't have that feeling. So it's locked somewhere. It doesn't go anywhere. It's still in your system, locked. And being held hostage by this ego, which is kind of these, you know, I can see this kind of seething bat-like creatures that are physical, that literally come up energetically through my system. And so she wrestles with them because the only way for me to fully surrender for anyone, actually, I'm just, just again, this is only, I'm riffing on my experience, I'm just, this is my experience, but um, the only way that my freedom is going to happen is by allowing the expression of those feelings. Because by allowing the expression of those feelings, then I emerge. And the darkness or the shadow, that piece of cunt, has no more power. He, the predator will only have power as long as you agree to refuse your life force. As long as you agree to them, as long as you agree to their agenda. <clears throat> and as a child, you're going to agree. I mean, there's just no, you have no choice. So when you agree, you build this kind of wall, which is the ego, or whatever, of this barricade. And I would say it's populated by these energetic forces, very powerful. And, you know, in what's his name, the hero's journey, you have to go into the cave, you have to face a dragon. These are dragons. These are. Um, that won't let you show up. As a child, you cannot show up. And you have to agree, because if you don't, you'll die. There's nothing. In a loveless landscape, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And there's no safety. So you're looking for, you know, acquisition. You're looking for safety. You're looking to be connected somehow. You're looking to not die. I do not want to die. So even though this is evil over here, I'd rather do that. Actually, I have no choice. There's no choice. You just do it. I'm sorry. I I'm, make it seem like you can negotiate. You can't negotiate as a two or three-year-old or five-year-old. There's no negotiation. You're being built inside this realm. So all these feelings, and imagine as your child, there are many years of childhood many moments, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And each of those moments, there's a feeling that's going on. And so this incredible medicine, because it's beyond the technology of anything, is wrestling daily to 
weaken this ego. So basically, bring it to its knees. And to get, and to get past it, I said, what is in the cave? You know, in the hero's journey, it's like you've got to slay the dragon. Well, what's in the cave? What's in the cave is everything you've refused about yourself. Everything that you had to shut down in order to survive. That's what's in the cave. So, you know, I can look at a beautiful beach or look at, you know, people in the countryside and think, oh, I really want to be there. But I can't because I, I live, I, you know, it's, for me it was very interesting because I, I saw myself behind a glass, I was never participating in life, I was behind a glass screen looking in because I was being held captive by refusing all the emotions that I felt as a child and legitimizing the fact that I didn't have the right to feel them because I had to survive and I had to agree, right? So there's nothing that complicated or woo-woo about any of this. It's quite simple. As a natural living organism, there is a natural process to blossoming. The natural process cannot be interfered with. It can't be interrupted. You can't, you know, send a child to be sexually abused. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, sacrilege against the natural process. You can't not love a child. It's sacrilege against the natural process of being. You can't ask a, you know, a, a, a lily to be a dog. It's not a dog. It's a lily. It's, that goes against a natural process, a natural order of things. And when there's, a, there's an interruption and then there's a kind of sacrilege and there's a, this, you know, interference in the natural order, then all this other shit's going to happen. And, um, and therefore you get human beings who are, you know, hidden and, and refused and are not really here, are not online. I was certainly not online. I've never been, I've, I've literally been like perhaps 80% online if no, no, so saying 20% online, I mean, yeah, and 80% off. I was fully, it's almost like a, a moving, um, energetic tornado when you're abused or horrible things happen to you and there's no love. You're, you're pulled into this energetic tornado of shit. And it's like watching, you know, the washing machine. It's like a spin drive. You're in it. You're in it. You're in it. Now, how do you get out of it? Like, you know, because it's so, its center is so powerful. Right? You're being pulled, almost it's like a gravitational pull inside somebody else's shit. Because remember, their shit has been, been, you know, has been driven for many, many years. It's been building and building. So this parent that ever did whatever they did to you has had his, this gravitational movement of energy from many men is a massive momentum to it. So when it comes to you and you're just barely here, you get sucked into that gravitational shit. Right? So it's much more powerful than yours. You're just you've just arrived in your energy. So you get pulled in. So it's very difficult to get to to leave. Right? 
because they haven't just arrived being who they are, you know, by the time they're a parent, it's 30 years, 25 years, 40 years of, of, of doing their shit, of, 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 of building their energetic momentum of evil, right, or crap or whatever it is that they're living. And so when you arrive and you're barely like here, you know, your energetic pull is not that powerful and you're going to get pulled in and you're going to agree. So the healing, so, I, you know, the, the fact is that these, uh, these kind of guardians of the gate that come up, you know, these kind of like dungeon keepers, are my ego, are the thing that I built. I kept thinking they were, eight, they were other things, but they're not. They're actually um, my ego. I mean, they're not a pretty bunch, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't invite them to my, to my wedding. Um, but they are built to agree and to survive. And so, the, you know, the terror of, of, you know, kind of giving them their unemployment slip is huge. And so I wrestle with the ayahuasca. I don't, but these things wrestle with them, with the ayahuasca. And once, you see, it's so interesting because what is so interesting, what they say, what, they're only here. Oh my gosh, this is really interesting. They're entities made out of no love. They're entities that show up when there's no love. They're loveless darkness. And once she's wrestled with them, you know, through the vibrations of the Ikaros, and they've been wrestled with, because they don't believe in love. They don't think there's love. They don't believe that there's any caring, because that's what, you know, as a child, what you grew up with. And, and the ayahuasca is presenting love. And she's saying, basically, you guys are, you know, it's okay. You guys can bugger off because we're here. And we're love. And it's so amazing because at some point, um, the, they give up. It's really incredible. They just surrender. They don't. They just go, oh, okay, whatever. And she moves right in. The ayahuasca moves right in. And she finds the sadness or the terror. And there's this visceral weeping that happens. It's incredible. That is the child releasing its fear and saying, I'm so scared. I'm so scared. It's unbelievable. But it's what, what happens is that she's showing up as love, right? Her medicine, the medicine of ayahuasca is love. And love is really battling with the forces that say there's no love. 
we're only here, these dark entities are here because they, they're made out of no love. And she's saying, no, no, there's love, there's love. And she's wrestling with them. And at some point, she, the ayahuasca kind of overwhelms them. And then there's a surrender, and then there's an opening, and then there's a tracing back to that moment and that sadness that's being kept locked away, and it's then released. It's okay. It's safe for you to be you. It's safe now. You can come out of the darkness. It's safe to be here. The monster's no longer here. You're not going to get hurt if you cry. You have the right to be you. So that's why I was saying. It's like if you're doing, again, if, if you're repeating the same cycle, I think I talked about this in the last podcast, it's because you're still paralyzed in that state of being a two-year-old, three-year-old and the, and the authority. In other words, I've talked about this a lot, but you're paralyzed and you're frozen in that place where you're a five-year-old and there's a threat by this adult. And the, it's the overturning of that paradigm. It's the overturning because you've built an ego. You've built a, an armor to you know, endure that situation. And their armor is made out of their lovelessness. They have no love, you know, you, if they refuse, then you refuse love. You refuse the love within you. And we all have it, by the way, inside of us. Um, and so behind, you know, the dragons and the dungeon keepers is your pain is your sadness, is your fear that you can't release, you can't surrender, you can't express because if you express it, there's no one to accept it. There's no one to soothe you. There's no one to make you feel safe. There's no one. And so you hide it and you bury it but in the burial of it, you're burying you. You're burying all of your life force. And access to it comes through love. And it has to be tremendous love. Like the ayahuasca is like infinite, boundless m love of a mother. That's how I can describe her. And she's saying, it's okay to feel that because I'm here. I'm going to make you feel safe. I'm going to make you feel loved. So it's okay. You don't have to be frightened to feel that. And then when you feel it, the predator releases and loses its power because you've expressed your divinity. You've expressed your emotion. And so now that two, three, or four-year-old has expressed its fear, its love, its, its, its fear, its grief, its sadness, it's no longer scared of, you know, 
being attacked by the predator for feeling it. And, there, and thereby you grow, thereby you blossom, thereby your, your true self <clears throat> begins to emerge. So my, my teaching, my learning from this is that all these dark forces that I are, are physical, they're in, you know, they're just like, I show up as them. I mean, they, I physically turn into them now because that's how many, how much has been removed. And um, it's literally like, literally like being at the, you know, the bedrock of a river at the, you know, bottom of it where you're, you know. Now I finally can accept that this, these, this ego is basically, my armor is these loveless um, kind of dungeon keepers who keep me in check, who are made out of his lovelessness and his shit and hers, right? And that the only way that I can get past them, or I've, in my instance anyway, the only way I was able to get past them was the ayahuasca, you know, drowning me in love, really, in a way. And they're very powerful because they still keep coming up. It's that drowning, it's that kind of immer immersing me in love, and that's love. And safety and saying, it's okay for you to feel that feeling. Because these dungeon keepers have kept everything hidden and refused. And it's like they're holding the treasure chests of all your feelings in a cave. Imagine thousands of these chests and in each one is a moment when you felt sad or fearful and there was nowhere to go, there was no safety, there was no... and the great ayahuasca creates this huge energetic field of safety and love and she battles with your dungeon keepers. And now I realize when I was in ceremony in Peru that these massive, huge um, forces that were coming up, which I had to apologize to the cult next to me who was on a mat, that they were so vast. Um, were my dungeon keepers. And in fact, I suspect that the ceremony that I had where I had my hands behind my back as a child and this huge looming dark thing was there and it was a hologram was in fact my dungeon keeper, was the, my, the thing that I had built. I had to silence my little girl. I had to silence her. It was just probably me. In other words, it was what I'd built, what was built in order to maintain and legitimize that evil. So it kind of is all you in a way, right? So, and when I first had a big energetic break and I had very powerful dream, it was, one, it was 
It was a moment that my whole system, energetic system, broke open when I was meditating for about 10 years. And the, the, there was a very powerful dream that <clears throat> there was this huge, writhing, <clears throat> energetic monster. And it, I, I, was, I had to go back to my house in London in this dream. I was in a taxi in New York and I'd gotten out of the taxi for some reason and left my wallet and my phone, which is like, you know, right, my whole life source. And I had to go back to my house in London. And in, my, in the attic of that, it was all white and clean, and in the attic was this writhing, terrifying monster, and I had to face it. And I couldn't. I sent up my cousin, I sent up, and it just ate them alive. And... I think I'm realizing now that it was actually my ego. It was the defense mechanisms I had built to not go and see the truth. To not see how horrific these people were. I had told myself somewhere on the way, we will never acknowledge the truth of these people. We will never, we will refuse the truth. And I built this whole mechanism that refused how horrible they were. And it legitimized them. And so the dungeon keepers, and I suspect that, again, the whole time it was my own dungeon keeper. And it was actually me, I, well, I say me, it's something I built in order to sustain and to survive the horror. I had refused, I had refused me and legitimized them. I had refused my own divinity and my own humanity. And legitimize the evil of these people. In order to do that so powerfully, I would have to have very powerful egoic forces. Because, you know, we're all born as love, right? And so I would have to refuse love. If you're agreeing to evil, you're refusing love. <clears throat> so I refused love. And in so doing, <clears throat> built a very powerful armor of these dark forces. And really it's a battle between light and the dark, love and no love. And in these mini ceremonies and literally for the, forever for the last five years since I've done ayahuasca, it's been um, the tearing down of the wall to love. And they do not. In order to do that then, I must 
feel every emotion and accept it as the truth. And to weep as a child and say, I'm so scared, is such an incredible gift. Because it's the gift of truth. It's the gift of, you know, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be a child. It's okay to be you. And the truth is that they were the, you know, they were the ones, they were the evil, they were the darkness, right? So, it is a battle between love and no love, the light and the dark. Um, and it's actually very interesting because the closer I get to um, to seeing the truth, there's always a lot of discomfort a few days before. Even though I'm doing ceremonies, there's a little bit of, you know, it's like another, le another wall's being taken down. There's another head-on attack with these things and these energies. And there's a, like, discomfort, you know, like, oh, I can't quite sleep okay, and things are just feeling a little bit like, you know, when the water in the ocean is being sort of moved around. And it's like your earth is getting bigger. It's like you're, you're taking more of, of the landscape of consciousness. You're, you're reclaiming it. And then, boom, it's like she locates, you know, there's this battle that goes on, and she locates the place. And that's why I'm saying when there's a kidnapping, and, you know, she said to me, you were stolen. It's because... They know that you're innocent. They know that you're powerless, these energies. They know that you have no choice. And if they make it impossible for you, then for you to survive, you're going to have to build this wall of loveless dungeon keepers. I think that's how they keep you captive, by not loving you. If you're loved, you're free. You're free to say, do whatever, because you're fully accepted. In captivity, the trick is you're all wrong. You're all wrong. You don't look the part. You don't sound the part. You're all wrong. And that's when they know you're owned. And that's when they know that you will not agree to your feelings. You will not agree to who you are. And that you will manifest in the version of what they need. It's a very clever trick. So, um, you know, you just have to keep pummeling because it's interesting how you're the container of everything, right? You contain the emotions that haven't been expressed. You've built a wall of 
ego, a, a wall of, for me, it's kind of like these demonic, dark energies which are writhing, right? Um, so you've built, and I realize now, like all of the, the, these sort of energies that come up are mine, they're my ego, built in the darkness. So if someone's built in the darkness, they're built out of lovelessness, right? And they're built to legitimize the, you know, the existing order. And then <clears throat> they own you. And so that's all of inside of you. So the ayahuasca is, is the piercing. It's, it's a sort of an arrow of love. It's a, actually, it's a whole bomb of love, Molotov cocktail of love. She has to shut down these ego. The ego is very, very powerful. So she shall, in, in the ceremony, she's going to shut down that ego. She's going to take away its plug. It unplugs the ego. And then you're going to see underneath what it is that it's protecting. The dungeon keeper is always protecting something. The dungeon keeper doesn't want you to come into In the same way in that dream, it's like you can't come up here. It was in my head. It was in the attic, right? That's where all the memories are stored. And what they're protecting was the fact that I was sexually abused, I was unloved, I was used, whatever, a whole bunch of stuff, right? Which I had, I had refused to accept that they did this to me. Hidden it, refused it. And when the, the ayahuasca, after, you know, so she comes in, she shuts down your, your ego. I mean, in the last time I was in ceremony, it was still writhing, etc., but it overwhelms it. And she shows you what it is within you that you're hiding and that you're accepting. And I got to see that it was sexual abuse and that it was being sold and all that stuff as a child. And however much I wanted to own myself, which she showed me by having my own power, I couldn't own it. And I couldn't own it because I was owned and paralyzed until I actually saw what had happened. I was, I was paralyzed by the, when the Indians came to get me, I couldn't leave. I couldn't leave because I had built this whole army of darkness as an ego, as an armor to refuse my truth. So it's like being born in hell. It's like being born in the, in the wrong side of town in the darkness. And to overthrow all of it, you need to find, you need to be in this huge vat of love and safety. And it needs to keep showing up, which is what it does every day. Like thousands of Indians just loving because the child feels alone. You feel abandoned. There's nothing but these two crazies. It's like being dropped off in a helicopter into the fucking jungle. I mean, in the darkness, I mean. And there's no way out. 
that's it. These two people are it. Right? So, she torpedoes the wall you've built. And when she reaches them, which is what she did with me, she reached them under all these layers, then a battle ensues <clears throat> between them and her, between the light and the dark. And in one instance, they were coming up thick and fast. I mean, I was just converting into all sorts of, I mean, there were snakes coming out of me. It was really yuck. And the ayahuasca just blew up in front of me like this huge Roman um, gladiator. Huge. You're just like, I'm just, I get the, the you know, goosebumps thinking about it. Literally, I was sitting on my cushion, just like thousands of snakes. I was like just this writhing mass of just. snakes and darkness and just it was my head was being pulled up it was just insane that's how powerful the grip of this darkness had over me and then the ayahuasca just went and blew up into this like fucking huge towering you know roman gladiator like just huge and then all these things just like dissipated if you're not in full expression of yourself you're living in the dark if you haven't been if you've been hurt you're living in the dark you're living without love it's so simple I just don't even and if you are born into this place, which I was. <clears throat> How I got there, I don't know. <clears throat> I was shown that, again, I was, in some other life, I was on the back of a horse, I was dead, and I was part of this Indian family. I don't know the full story, I don't, but I just, there's some connection to these Indians. And they said to me, we've come over lifetimes, which I don't know what that means. Um, so I must have been held captive for a long time in the dark, most probably. And when the darkness gets you, or when there's no love, and you live in captivity, really, by the darkness, you're just an automatic, you know. And you can have all the arguments you want about who you are and what you're not. And at the end of the day, it's just a thinking thing. It's not going to... It's just a constant argument with yourself. Because what the dark does is it puts you in conflict with yourself. Because it owns you. So it knows you will never win it, beat it, that it win it, beat it because it knows you have no access to your feelings because it's terrorized you so you will never let those feelings out because if you let them out then 
you have to challenge the predator, and if you challenge a predator, you're going to lose. That's what your five-year-old is saying. <clears throat> and it's your four or five-year-old that's, or whatever, however, 10, 11, is a thing that's paralyzed and that's in terror. So there is an incredible technology that is out there to heal. Certainly uh, the ayahuasca is, is incredible. Um, the battle is between love and no love, between the light and the dark. Um, you're held captive early on if you're traumatized. You're paralyzed in that state, whatever, five, six, and you're going to grow up, but you're still you're just replaying act one, scene one, all day, every day, because that's the place that you were held captive. <clears throat> and freedom from ca captivity is to tear down the you know wall of dungeon keepers and demons and stuff that you've built and actually feel the truth of those feelings and by so doing take away the power of the captor because they have power as long as you refuse yourself as long as you refuse your murderous rage as long as you refuse your sadness your hatred your anger as long as you refuse they keep they have you caught they have you hostage and as a child you're going to refuse them because supposedly they're your parent <coughs> Clearly, these are not my parents, never were. For some reason, I ended up with them, but and I think that's what she's shown me the whole time is that they are not your parents. It was a trick. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's the whole thing is just beyond insane. And, you know, when you break the code, and the code is automatic response every day, not seeing, you know, just being in argument with yourself. When you begin to, that's the great thing about meditation is it slows down <clears throat> the mechanism. And in slowing down the mechanism, um, you begin to kind of crack the code. You, you know, everything is slowed down, everything, you know, I think with trauma, everything is like very fast. It's like you're on fast forward all the time. It moves. It's like being, cat I think about it like a cannonball. You just, when the trauma happens, you just catapult or catapult it out into like, you know, space. And you just keep going. And you're on automatic and everything's very fast and everything is just... Everything is, it's like an airbag. It's been built very fast. It's very dysfunctional. It's very unstable. But it's fueled by the terror of that trauma. And as you, you know, move into this journey or begin to wake up by meditation and ayahuasca, it slows down. 
and you're able to go deeper and deeper into actually seeing how you were built. <coughs> And where I'm now is that it's, she's literally squeezing out all the pain. She's squeezing out, it's like a cancer. It's like she's literally finding the pockets of pain that I refused. And allowing me to feel them in a huge landscape of love which is the only, the only place I would be able to surrender them, is if I was safe, because early on I wasn't safe. And that it's okay to feel them, and by making it okay to feel them, I tear down the monster the dark, I tear down the evil, I, I'm unchained from captivity. So again, very interesting, when I was on the floor, my hands behind my back, in a hologram, with this huge evil thing over me, refusing my childhood, that was actually me. That was my ego, agreeing to him. Well, that's a new one. <laughs> I thought it was, but it was actually inside of me. It was actually me refusing the feelings of my child. He made me refuse me. And, and after that ceremony, I said to myself, you need to tell me, I said to my four or five-year-old, you need to tell me everything that happened. She didn't want to. It's not she didn't want to, it's that this ego that I'd built didn't want me to know. And so everything has been about cracking through the ego, which is why, you know, suddenly the cuckoo clock in one of the ceremonies was, starts, you know, that's because my ego is being broken down. The cuckoo clock starts and this whole, it's like this whole mechanism in the earth opens up. It's like this corkscrew, it just begins to go around and the whole earth opens up and I'm coming out of rooms, which is, he sold me to be sexually abused. So, again, what she's pummeling is what I've built as a defense mechanism. It's what I built to refuse myself and agree to him. Fucking insane. So I literally, she's actually pummeling through my own walls. And again, the only way to make that happen, the only way to, to dynamite that the only way, darkness can't live in light. It can't live in love. Darkness has no power when it's overwhelmed by love. That's <laughs> amazing. It's true. It can't live. 
It's like anathema to them. So yeah, love wins all day, every day. Love is the medicine. Love is the air. And love is the great, great healer. And if you've not known it ever, or not known it in the most important moment of your life, which is the arrival, it's that first relationship, then you're lost. I mean, I just, you're lost. I certainly was. You're lost. Doesn't matter how many Ferraris you drive, how many houses you have in Malibu. <laughs> It'll never be enough. Because the true lottery win, you don't have. And you know, there's only so many Ferraris and so many houses and so many houses you can live at the same time. And it doesn't matter. The vacuum, the crater of emptiness is bigger than the galaxies all put together. You know, so the great stock option, <laughs> the only stock option is love. Infinite, boundless love. Which if I, again, again I, I've never felt in 